The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Thanks so much for being here. I'm just reading here from yeah. the New York Post. Lee Zeldin, who ran as a Republican for governor of New York and, yeah. and lost, but lost by a surprisingly small amount in you know, way over. It's actually viewed as a celebration. He has an op-ed piece, you know, how Republicans can, you know, take everything back. Mm. And I'm just in the midst of reading it. Many Republicans wonder why Democrats are still voting for Democratic candidates if the policies of the Democratic Party are harming them so much. The answer shouldn't be any great mystery. It's a situation of the devil you know being better than the devil you don't. Mm. Many people voting Democrat are unhappy with the Democratic Party, but believe the Republican Party is worse. Instead of Republicans making some incredibly bad assumption that these voters will just eventually come around on their own, Republican candidates and campaigns need to instead take the initiative of going directly to these Democratic voters and earning their support. To reach minority voters, Republicans have a huge opportunity to deepen inroads with various communities. Democratic policies in our once great big cities have created a major crime crisis, skyrocketed the cost of living, eroded our educational systems, forced millions to flee to states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and the Carolinas. These are the same voters the Democratic Party has taken for granted or ignored. Republicans are on the right side of these top issues, but we must start showing up more frequently in these communities, and passionately communicating our ideas directly to them. I think we had said that, what, about 15 years ago? Uh, yeah, at least. Saying that? Uh, on the campaign trail, I relentlessly went to Dem- into Democratic strongholds in New York City, speaking to countless Asian Americans who want to go to work without having to hold on to the guardrails of a subway platform for being uh, for fear of being pushed in front of an oncoming car. Mm. I spoke to single black mothers who had to bury their children thanks to policies that protect criminals over law-abiding citizens. I spoke to Jewish Americans who want to combat anti-Semitism and stop the attacks on their children's education, along with Hispanics who want school choice and to stop the influx of fentanyl, which has ravaged families across the United States. Even though I knew I was certain to lose Manhattan, the Bronx, and many other communities within the city, I still showed up repeatedly 
The same committed approach should apply to Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, and other big cities across the country where residents are begging to change. And for this reason, I'm taking matters into my own hands to help the Republicans and launching the Leadership America Needs PAC through this political action committee. I will be taking the lessons learned from last year's elections in New York and applying them nationally and working to promote strong leaders who will boldly confront the challenges of the future. We will support Republican candidates for elected office committed to advancing my efforts to grow a diverse coalition for first-time Republican voters we built in the 2022 uh, uh, cycle. Republican Party must also better support candidates seeking office from and help candidates' message to the Jewish, Asian, Hispanic, African-American, and other minority communities will be the central focus of my new initiative. You know, we've been saying this for the longest time. You know, mm. it's, and yeah. this is where you, you, need, you need to go everywhere and make your argument. If you're yeah. going to be a political right. party. And, and if, you, you, if you can't, look, you need to go there. You need to go to those places. You need to go to every place, wherever you're campaigning nationally, which is every place nationally. Mm. Well, and, 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 and you need to you need to confront what's going on in the big cities. Even if you're not going to win, you don't believe you can win. You need to start. The party is about winning short term and long term. Well, and 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 that's it. Look, um, there are very clear things that that Zeldin points out here about what was going on in the city. Right. All right. He wasn't going to win Manhattan, but he could go in and and he could campaign and say. Look at the problems, and nobody could deny that he was right. And 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 it goes back to you know number one, identifying the problem. One thing we talked about that Trump did in in twenty sixteen, and in New York City, for Zeldin, that's very easy, and nobody can deny. Here is what's going on. You know, the subway and, and the fear that I, I just heard someone talking about it. That's that grew up in New York City and said, for the first time, I feel like I can't safely uh, maneuver, you know, New York City with my kids. And I thought to myself, wow. And he says, I love New York City. I love it. I'm never leaving. But right now it's it's not safe. And I thought to myself, well. You know, these are the things that that you can point out over and over again. But if Zeldin had not done that, if he had not campaigned the way he did, I don't know what his result would have been. I mean, he didn't win, but that was a huge victory in and of and it itself. Was the number, of the voters, level right. that he performed at as a Republican for governor in New York State, and and that's exactly what you have to do because that's what you can talk about. That's what you can measure. That was progress. Again, it's impossible to know what would it have been if he had not campaigned inside the city at all. It's impossible to know because that's not the way it went. But what we do know is he outperformed most expectations. And now you can look at the Republican Party and you can say, do that. You got to go where... You may not win, and you may know going in, we'll never win this state. We'll never win this uh, precinct or this county or whatever. But you go in, identify the problem, stay on the issues, Mm -hmm. and you can make progress. Look, it's important in any political party to preach to the converted to keep them united. Yeah. You know, you you need to. But the other thing is 
You need to get out and you need to promote your message. It's not just enough to promote it. In if, if you're in the political arena, you need to get out. You need to promote it everywhere you possibly can. Zeldin, uh, uh, Zeldin did that, as we know. Uh, uh, DeSantis shows up everywhere, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what you do. And you talk to people, and you say, "Look, here's what it's about." But you stick to the issues. Don't get sidetracked. You know, don't get sidetracked. And so many of these, you know, Republicans. Uh, what did uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene do yesterday? What was it? Uh, oh, the, the couple, the, there's a couple the, of things. The she did. tweet about uh, the software companies. Yeah, but was there was something else she did too. Mm-hmm. Where I just went, stop it, God, stop it. Mm-hmm. Focus for God's sakes. Focus on the four or five or six issues. I mean, the tweet you're talking about that that's what it was. I wasn't referring to that. There was something else she did, mm-hmm. but the 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 tweet was. You know, not that the election was stolen. You know, the election was stolen for Trump, but Dominion shouldn't be and Smartmatic shouldn't be suing because they really didn't lose a they lot didn't of really money. Lose any accounts? Yeah, they, and, they really yeah. didn't lose a lot of uh, yeah. accounts. They really didn't lose that much money. So why are they suing? You so know? they must have a different motivation right. be, for for the lawsuit. Right. Exactly. Right. But she didn't say. You know, the the whole point is that well, what you're. Do you even know what you're saying? What you're saying is they're not. You know, they're not suing because they were damaged. They're just suing for the money. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, and they shouldn't just sue for the money. Are you saying they have a case or they don't? I mean, I couldn't figure out what she was saying in it. Well, stop that. Get it. Get out of that. Everything you say as a politician should be absolutely crystal clear. Absolutely crystal. Oh, I know what it was. Mm. Uh, where uh, she accused of uh, she, Biden, you know, Biden, the the woman yesterday uh yesterday uh on on two days ago on border whose two sons died of fentanyl mm-hmm. and she and so marjorie taylor green not doing her homework you know came out and 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 blurted out that you know see this is what the Bi- this is uh, you know this is who the Biden administration is killing and then mm-hmm. biden got up there and mentioned it yesterday and talked about the woman who lost her children and then started chuckling and the republicans pounded him for chuckling Here's a woman who lost her because he was saying she got the wrong president. These happened under Trump. Mm. Well, you shouldn't be getting about if you're if you're going to speak in public, get the damn thing right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's why Bobert, they're not my type of conservative Republicans at all. Mm-hmm. Gates is getting better. Mm. But Bobert and MTG are in it for the show. Mm-hmm. They're not in it, in my opinion, to truly promote conservative values because they're constantly sidetracked. Yeah. Well, they themselves are the sideshow. Yeah. I don't want a yeah. sideshow. I don't want a sideshow. I want everything. I want everything. It's not hard. That's the thing. I get frustrated. I get angry because it's so damn easy right now. Zeldin, hey, we got everything behind us. They can't stand what the Democrats are doing. They just want to get to know you and see you. Mm-hmm. That's not hard, right? Do that, promote it, but focus, and don't get sidetracked, right? So we'll see. Well, and look, there's evidence of that. Now we believe in Chicago. It just means another liberal is going to come in. They're not going to change much. Oh yeah, I, but but what are the people in Chicago saying though? And you look at the the uh, big story at thehill.com. Even they're recognizing, look, crime is a problem. You're going to have to do something. At some point, you have to do something, even if you have to go against your 
your own agenda as a liberal. They're not going to come in and and uh, in these cities and 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 elect you know Republicans. Um, but you look at uh, Giuliani and what he did in New York City. You know, he came in as a Republican, and and back then, you know, he had look. We're going to be tough on crime. We're going to clean the city up, and and. I heard somebody argue that when he did that, the crime was so much worse than it is even now in New York City. So that was a tougher thing for him to accomplish. I didn't live in New York City at the time, but everybody knew that, look, you go to New York City and it was just it became a joke. You're going to get mugged or whatever. And back then that was the joke. And then Giuliani, his idea was to come in, clean it up, make it family friendly, more tourism, the whole thing. But. And make it safer, uh, primarily to make it safer for his uh, constituents, the the people of New York. But they're going to have to, at some point, the crime has to be addressed. I don't expect that to happen anytime soon in Chicago or New York City. But the people of those cities are making statements in pretty significant ways. In New York City, they're leaving. I want to make it clear. I don't think Zeldin's talking about that this is local elections where Republicans are going to win office no. in the big cities. No, no. He's talking about, he's talking about the, the party. He's talking about the party from the national yep. level. Yep. And because you, you look and go, look, we only have so much. We're, we're hardly existent in the cities to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, the primary determines the winner. Mm-hmm. But if you have a society where it's failed so much for the Democrats that they become more moderate, is that a benefit to the nation overall? Yeah, it would be. Well, that's the it, whole thing. It would is be that if, 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 if that, Dem- you, right. that he, he, you know, because he points out, you do have to go in these liberal cities where you know you're not going to win. He knew he wasn't going to win right. Manhattan. And that has to happen. You have to go into Chicago. You have to go into L.A. You got to go into Portland. No, but I mean, I, but I'm talking specifically local elections. You can't do it because you don't have the money that oh, you no, can no, invest no. You know, not to, going, to win no, the local no, no, elections. No. But, no. The, but the point is, if you consistently still do it from the state level mm-hmm. and the, the, the federal level, mm-hmm. that you know, if, you can, if you can move, the philosophy would be, if you can move the Democratic Party locally to be yeah. more yeah. conservative. I live in a Democrat-run town mm-hmm. that couldn't exist in Illinois or New York in all likelihood, unless it was rural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the f- philosophy is they don't talk about it, mm-hmm. but you don't hear the insane liberal things coming from the Democrats in the government in my city. Yeah. You don't hear it. And the you parties, just don't hear it. The, the GOP's not going to make progress without doing what he's talking about. You've got to go into these blue, deep blue areas because – you win on the issues. You win on border yep. control. You win on the economy. You win on crime. And you're not going to win the local elections. It's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to make progress with the party Yet. and get the message out. <laughs> well, no, I mean, eventually you would hope that well, I mean, you could exactly. get to that point. Yeah. Right. But. Does anyone expect it to happen in our lifetime? No, it's not going to. No, it's no, not going to happen. No. But what do you do? You, if you change the mindset, you know, if you if you go in and and there is that impact as a result of that type of campaigning by the GOP, uh, and you go in as a party, and locally they start changing because the people hear something, 
the people still vote blue, but they're expecting the Democrats to to behave differently. I don't know what the future of Chicago looks like. I don't think much is going to change. Much, you know, there wasn't much change in New York City. No. You know, and Adams was seen as, well, look, I'm a former cop and, you know, I'm uh, uh, pro-law and order and everything and he, else. But he you're not going to change. And he crumbled yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And it's as just, we expected. As well, because we... you're not going to. It's, it goes back when Cuomo was governor and, and he talked about the millionaire's tax and he was trying to work with state legislators and say that you can't do that because they'll leave. And a lot of them have done that. And then he comes back and, he's, and he was he was saying at the time something to the effect I can't, we can't afford to be liberal on this issue. Well, the fact is, is that, you know, they, the state legislature won. You know, they forced him basically to take the position that they've always taken, go after the big money. And but, now they're begging them to come back. And now they're begging them to come back. Eventually, there has to be some change. Does it mean another party comes in? Probably not in those areas. But any change is a positive if they're moving to the right further. And by the way, to Democrats, when your policies fail, begging people to come back with the same mindset of the same party to the same geographical area is not going to work. No. 86690 Red Eye. A drop in organic ag commodity sales per the most recent annual numbers issued by USDA. Yet economic researcher Sharon Raskap Skurbiansky cautions reading too much into the 4% decline in organic product sales in 2021. 2020 was an anomaly year. 2021 sales are still higher than those from 2019. We have to keep into consideration the macroeconomic context, the way that it affected consumers' budgets, as well as historical growth in organic retail sales and the continued consumer interest in organic foods. While certified organic acreage was down in 2021, the number of organic farms increased year over year. As for the value of organic products... In 2021, the value of certified organic agricultural products surpassed $11 billion. There were increases in value in most of the top-valued commodities like apples and corn for grain, as well as eggs. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This report is made possible by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Diesel and Sitco Lubricants. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Well, this happened yesterday. Really didn't get a lot of news. Fox had it, but the director of the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office yesterday briefed a group of House Republicans in a closed-door meeting on the dire situation the United States is in regarding $31.4 trillion debt. What is this now classified? Is the debt so bad it has to be in a closed-door session? Yes. I, I can't tell you that. I'm going to refer you to White House counsel. <laughs> sources told fox news digital Mm -hmm. the republican study committee the largest group within the gop conference invited the cbo director Uh uh, philip swaggle to capitol hill on wednesday to discuss the national debt as republicans and democrats remain at an impasse over raising the debt uh, uh, ceiling quote the cbo made it clear that the level of growth necessary to balance the budget without spending cuts is impossible I'm glad that's official, but we knew that. Well, we knew that. I don't know if the general public at large knows that, but we know that. Well, you have to care to know that, right? You have to yes. care to be concerned about it. And then when you're concerned about it, then you look, you do the very simple math. And you don't have to go very far. This isn't deep. Right. Deep thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't, you know, you don't, you don't have to get into trigonometry yeah. here. Swaggle told the lawmakers, quote, we cannot grow ourselves out of this. End of quote. No blank Sherlock. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. And he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. I was telling you during the bottom of the hour, uh, because, you know, the Republicans in, in the, the House are, you know, you know, have control of the House, they're her- having hearings every single day. Yeah. And so much of it is not getting, you know, covered by uh, because there's so much. Uh, we had we had played uh, Ted Cruz earlier, uh, going after Merrick Garland. Tomorrow we got some Tom Cart- Cotton coming up. There's just so much audio we can't get it in one day, mm-hmm. um, and so we want to make sure that we get in as much uh, of the important stuff. For example, COVID. We all know COVID. We all know uh, what uh, you know what happened and what we all went through as a country, and now how the lockdowns are looked at as the wrong thing to do. Mask mandates didn't work. You know, we've seen uh, now now the uh, the uh, the lab leak uh, uh, theory is greater than the natural theory. 
as we all know. Nobody's talking about, <laughs> you notice that's not happening. Nobody's saying, well, what's the confidence on the nat- natural theory? Hmm. Uh, but uh, they had hearings on Tuesday on this. Hmm. Uh, we played uh, Dr. McCary uh, yesterday, who basically said, they lied to you. Not only did they give you misinformation, he said, and there's no problem with that. He said, if they're giving you the information of what they have the to- at the time, even if it proves to be wrong later, at least they're doing the best they can. But he said, Meh, they were lying. And he went through uh, the number of things that uh, they were lying about. Uh, Dr. J. Batichera, who we're going to play now, we had quoted him a long, long time ago. When did the Great Barrington Great uh, Barrington Declaration come out? Was that like, I just Was I just by the of, end of twenty. I'll have to look that up. But uh, Doctor Butichera was one of the authors of it, mm-hmm. and they had come out and said lockdowns were wrong. Yeah, we should have never done the lock. They were really the first ones in an official capacity to do so. Right. And they were eviscerated. Oh, yeah. And they were right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as the the Democrats refuse to look at what we did during COVID in a non-political way and say, is it, was it the correct thing to do? They just want to run away from it. Yeah, right. They they don't want it. They have no interest and have no interest in finding out the cause and the creation of a disease that killed a million Americans. They have no interest and have had no interest in finding out why. And have no interest in confronting the Chinese government over it. But I want to play the opening statement from Dr. Batichera from Tuesday and uh, his comments address the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to focus my remarks today on the need for an honest, scientifically-minded evaluation of the COVID pandemic response. Though scientists and and people vehemently disagreed about the wisdom of lockdowns, school closures, vaccine mandates and discrimination, masks, and, and so much else, there's near universal agreement that what we did failed. Official counts attribute more than a million deaths to COVID in the United States and almost 7 million worldwide. By early 2022, about 95% of Americans had contracted COVID uh, despite the harsh countermeasures in most states, including confinement of broad populations, business closures, cessation of religious and other gatherings, school closures, and widespread violation of civil liberties. Very clearly, these measures fail to protect Americans from COVID. This fact is confirmed by comprehensive Johns Hopkins University meta-analysis, which concluded that lockdowns had failed to contain the spread of COVID. At best, they temporarily protected the laptop class who could work from home without losing their jobs, perhaps 30% of the population, while being served by the working class. The pandemic response itself has wrought tremendous collateral harm. There's now broad agreement that the school closures in some states running for a year or more have set kids behind in ways that will lead them to worse outcomes as adults, including shorter, poorer lives. One peer-reviewed paper early in, uh, estimated that the spring 2020 closures alone may have cost American children millions of life years in expectation. These losses are unequally distributed with poor and minority children suffering the worst learning losses. Hundreds of thousands of kids never returned to school when schools opened. Uh, 
maybe the most perplexing sin of the public health establishment was that it abandoned an essential commitment to science. For example, why uh, was the age gradient in COVID risk ignored in sending COVID-infected patients back to nursing homes early in the pandemic, where we knew the most vulnerable people resided? Why did public health authorities ignore clear scientific data that COVID infection acquired immunity is as strong or stronger than vaccine acquired immunity? Vaccine mandates forced many frontline workers, heroes who contracted COVID early in the pandemic while doing essential work, to choose between their careers and a vaccine that provides less protection than the natural immunity they already had. Many faced with these anti-scientific choices will never trust public health authorities again even on vital topics such as the necessity of traditional childhood vaccines. Public health bureaucrats operate more like dictators than scientists during the pandemic, sealing themselves off from credible outside criticism. Consider, for instance, the treatment of scientific dissidents outside the government who contradicted public health dogma. In the earliest days of the pandemic, public health bureaucrats organized a cover-up of the hypothesis that COVID emerged as a result of a laboratory leak, calling scientists who proposed the idea conspiracy theorists. Only recently have official bodies started to admit the hypothesis is plausible and maybe even true, and certainly not a conspiracy. Where do the scientists whose careers were destroyed advancing the idea go to get their reputations back? When Martin Kulldorff of Harvard University here today, Sinatra Gupta, a professor at Oxford University, and I proposed a focus protection alternative, not a herd immunity alternative, to lockdowns in October 2020, then NIH director, Francis Collins labeled the three of us fringe epidemiologists and engaged a media campaign to take down our proposal, to which tens of thousands of doctors, epidemiologists, and scientists endorsed, including a Nobel Prize winner. Under the banner of combating misinformation, government health agencies used their power to collaborate with social media companies to control the public conversation about science, COVID science, and policy. The pattern repeated itself throughout the pandemic with science bureaucrats abusing their authority to create an illusion of scientific consensus in favor of destructive ideas when none existed. So the American people deserve answers to fundamental questions about the pandemic. On what empirical basis were schools closed? Did public health decision makers consider the harms of their policies as thoroughly as their putative benefits? Why did authorities ignore recovered immunity or failure of the vaccine to prevent disease transmission in recommending vaccine mandates and discriminatory vaccine policies? With such a litany of failure, the American people deserve an honest COVID commission to evaluate the response and document all the errors as well as the few successes. In 1986, when the U.S. faced the national tragedy of the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion, Congress created a commission with independent outside experts, including Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman. His iconic demonstration of a faulty O-ring made brittle in the cold as the cause of the Challenger disaster led to fundamental reforms at NASA. The American people deserve a similar bipartisan, scientifically-minded COVID-19 commission so the public health disaster of the first last three years is not repeated. With, with uh, Dr. Makari, Dr. Kuldorf, and, and, and five other epidemiologists, I've written a document called the Norfolk Group Blueprint, where we list 80 pages of questions that need to be answered, scientific questions, in a bipartisan, scientifically-minded spirit to address uh, the, the failure of the public health establishment during the pandemic. Thank you. True? Hmm. What he said, true? Yes. By the way, October 4th of 2020. Yeah, I was just uh, looking that up, wow. and then he said it just now in his testimony. Yeah, the Great Barrington Declaration. And you look at that, and that was early and but i do did remember it being sometime in the fall of 2020 
Um, I seem to remember it and then confirm that while he was talking and then he said it. That's very, very early. Think about how they were shut down on social media. Yep. How they were basically uh, it, the entire effort was carved out as and th- that they were pariahs that that their experience, their knowledge and everything they put together, their work that they put together for this document didn't mean anything. That you can't say that. There's no way you can say that. There's And one of the first things we learned about the virus was how it behaved in shared air. We also learned very early that, well, there's no way you can make people stay home. They're going to have to go out. Well, they may have one of the necessary roles in terms of jobs, and they're all going to have to eventually go home, leave the house, and go out for groceries. So one way or the other, they're leaving the home and coming back, which means they're going to spend more time during the shutdown if they are shut down and working from home. You've got more people under the roof, shared air for a longer period of time And there was going to be, the virus was so contagious, there was no way you were going to stop it. In fact, the shutdown just simply didn't work. And I believe we asked that question in April of, early in April of 2020. Yep. Yep. Because we were worried, said, well, wait a minute, if you send them home. And, and, And part of that concern, you know, part of that concern when we came up with that early on was the deaths, remember, in New York City in the apartment high-rises? Mm-hmm. And we started saying, well, what is the what is the thing then of not letting people go outside? And the you nursing should, home you, in Washington. Right, the, the nursing home in Washington. And he, mm-hmm. and he brought that up. Uh, you know, he basically, in, in general, any of the nursing homes had put old people back together again, yeah. which is like, what in the world was, was, was going on there? Right. But he brought up the one thing that still to this day, I hope it gets investigated because the the teachers union you know randy weingarten was just you know, close all the schools calls all the schools we knew early one of the things that's never changed and really never at all scientifically has changed at all and therefore not really debated was that covid did not affect children at all like it did the elderly and especially the elderly with underlying conditions and uh, uh, people that had uh, immune, were immune compromised mm-hmm. and obese. Mm-hmm. We know that those were the, we know that has stayed the same, but y- healthy young people, that this was less dangerous than the flu. Yep. I believe that is the exact, this, the mind, scientific mindset is the exact thing today. And we asked the question from the very beginning. Nobody ever justified scientifically closing down schools right? or the mass mandates in schools. Well, now we know that that was, you know, we know now that that was useless from the very, very yeah. beginning. Because right. even in the beginning when they were telling us that the early variants, you know, were, were, were uh, you know, attached to droplets. Well, if that was the case at that point, that made sense. Well, that wasn't the case. Hmm. It all spread aerosol-wise, so the masks did very little good at all. And so the thing is, as he points out, 95% of the population got it anyway. 
mm-hmm. 95% of the population has gotten COVID. Yeah. So why did we lock down? Why did you do it? Right. And and so that is the, you know, when you look at it, uh, you know, and you look at, you know, and DeSantis is going to run on it. I mean, I know. I know Trump's going it, to—it's a it's a dumb move by Trump to criticize and say, well, he shut down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, then he was back up very quickly, and he was going by what your administration was telling him. You can't win that one, Mr. Trump. <laughs> that one you can't win. You may right. be able to win other things. That one you can't win. It's like you need to move out of that. That's well, not a good. That's not a well, good. Because we went from flatten the curve, right, to do what? Save hospital beds and respirators. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah. Ford was going to quit making F one fifties and start making respirators or whatever it was. But no, not still but has the, that new respirator smell. But the EVs were going to still be produced, right? You're talking. Oh about, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay, don't shut only, that down. Only fossil fuel. Vehicles. Yeah, you don't shut that down. All right. Those are, but those are the things that a lot of people forget, and the liberals are hoping you forget. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara. Oh, wow. So, we got so much going on. <laughs> it's just been one of those weeks. Yeah, it has been. But here it is, a new poll. Three-quarters of Californians don't want Newsom to run for president, and three-quarters of, uh, of Americans believe that the president has cognitive problems. Wow. So. Yeah. Now, the one for California, the three-quarters of Californians don't want Newsom to run for president, part of that has to be people that think he's doing a wonderful job, uh, and they don't want him to leave. Or is it the, uh, you know, is it, is it like it was in New York New York City? De Blasio, oh, no, we love him as mayor. He's run, he, I'm running for president. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. I guess we'll see. I think Democrats want him to run outside of california newsom but uh in california yeah they probably want him to remain governor this is red eye radio on westwood one Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.